0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, If you've not picked it up yet, my name is Steve, and I have the privilege of speaking this morning. Other privileges that I have include leading Oxford Community Church and playing a role as well in leading our family of churches here together. It's great to be, I love it when we gather together as different churches because. Uh, when we gather just in our local church, sometimes our it can feel like that's the, that's the whole of the range of the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ. In fact, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, and it's just helpful when we get together to have our sights lifted just a little bit. And when we look around and think, there's a load of people here. I don't, I don't know who they are. I can't put a face to a name, but they're still just as much as of a sister or a brother in Christ as the people that we meet with in our churches week by week. I think that's really helpful for us. It it lifts our vision. And I've been praying that that there will be another kind of lifting our vision that would go on this morning. I've only really got one point to share this morning. Some of you will be disappointed how long it takes me to share (laughs) simply one point. Um, I'll tell you what it is in just a moment, Um, but I'm going to try to approach that point from a number of different angles, but it'll be crystal clear to you what it is. The theme that we chose for this morning is gifts from Jesus, and it won't surprise uh, that many people here that the passage we're going to go to first is in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 7 to 11, which talk about what we sometimes call spiritual gifts. It's not that the other gifts God gives us aren't spiritual, but these gifts do something particular in our relationship with God, who is spirit, in our relationship with him as the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to read chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good, to one, there is given, through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge, uh, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing or discerning between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one, just as he determines. There's a word right near the beginning of that text in verse 7, which is an unusual word. It's not a word we use very often. It's the word manifestation. I don't know how often you use the word manifestation in your daily lives. It's a Bible word that perhaps we don't use every day. It means something really straightforward. I've got a picture to help us with this. That there is some, This is a BMW. I'm not a great car fan, um, personally. Some of you might even know what this is, but it's a really posh BMW that's been designed and it's at a car show and the covers are coming off for the first time. This thing that has already been made but has been hidden and kept secret for this moment of revealing. is having the covers taken off and very soon everyone's going to get to see what it really is. That's what manifestation is about. A manifestation is where something that already exists something that is already there but which has been hidden is now being made known. It's being made public. It's the same word that's described when Jesus says of the kingdom of God that the things that are spoken privately in our inner rooms will be shouted from the rooftops. The things that have been kept private will be made public. That's what manifestation means. And here, In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the manifestation of the spirit. The spirit of God is invisible. God himself is invisible. You can't see him. However hard you look, he's not like that. He is not flesh walking the earth now since Jesus has returned to heaven. He is spirit and we can't see him. So in that sense, he's hidden, hidden from view. And yet, absolutely real. Sometimes because we can't see him, we may doubt his reality. But Paul teaches us here that he can be made manifest. That hidden and real, it's possible for the covers to come off. And for that which is real in the spirit to be seen in our lives here on the earth. We might talk about heaven being seen on earth. The Spirit and His work being made visible. And it lists nine, I don't know if you counted them, nine different ways that the Spirit may be made manifest. These are gifts that are given by God to help us understand who He is as Spirit. Three of them, there's three that are around power. I don't know if you noticed this. Faith. Miracles and healing, things that are stuck in people's lives, that are stubbornly resistant to the way they should be, can be changed as God gives gifts of faith to pray and see amazing things happen as he gives the gift of miracles and gifts of healing as well. Three power gifts. There are three gifts that are to do with understanding, with being able to know things that we didn't before. One is very simply a gift of knowledge. We often experience that when someone, I hope you experience it, often in your local church life, it's often someone comes to the front of a meeting and says, well, as we were worshipping, I just felt God say there's someone here who's in this situation, and I believe he's saying that today in order to bring it to light, that we could pray and see something change. It's a, a gift of knowledge, a message of knowledge, of wisdom, knowing what to do when it's really not obvious. And discerning between spirits insight into what 's going on spiritually, there are three more gifts that are to do all to do in different ways with speaking there 's the gift of prophecy, which is speaking words that God has given to us, the gift of tongues and interpretation and it 's actually here that we 're going to spend our time this morning, and in particular, I felt led to spend this morning speaking about the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. It's a funny old way of saying it. It's a very direct translation of the Greek of the New Testament where it says very straightforwardly speaking in tongues. That's why we use that phrase. What it means is speaking in other languages and specifically speaking in languages that we've never learned. It's not about speaking in French. If you're struggling with your GCSE French, this gift is not the one that's going to help you. That would be a gift of Knowledge or wisdom that might help you. The gift of speaking in tongues is not going to get you an A in French GCSE, but it's about learning, lang- it's about being able to speak languages that, uh, that we've not learned. And this is my message for this morning. My one message it goes like this it's four words. Let's speak in tongues. That's it. Let's speak in tongues. And I'm going to explain to you why that would be good to do. In the New Testament, those other languages that people spoke without having learnt them were sometimes human languages that people could understand. As on the day of Pentecost, when that's described to us, sometimes the languages that people spoke, no one present could understand. And they may have been human languages. Paul uses a phrase in the next chapter in his letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 13, about speaking with tongues of angels. And there's this idea that maybe sometimes when people are speaking in tongues and we don't understand what's going on, it's because it's not a human language. It's an angelic language. Well, maybe, but we don't understand either which way. And that leads me to uh, really to want to be honest about something, that although these gifts are all given by God, honestly, oh, that's is my picture for speaking in tongues. That'll keep coming up this morning. Honestly, there are some Christians who really don't want to speak in tongues. And um, there were a few people that were enthusiastic when I gave my four words, one point, let's speak in tongues. And other people like, oh, we're doing that, are we? And there are a number of reasons why some Christians feel that way. I just want to run through a few of them. One of them is because they've not only read chapter 12 and chapter 13, but they've got as far as chapter 14, of 1 Corinthians, where it says some very clear things about speaking in tongues and prophecy and says very clearly um, that there are some limitations to the gift of speaking in tongues. And, and one of them is this. If you read on into chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some inquirers or some unbelievers come in, won't they say you're out of your mind? Uh, this has happened here. I distinctly remember um, a student in the church who, actually, she'd graduated by that point, but her family came to visit for the weekend, came to a meeting here on a Sunday morning, and it it so happened that her brother-in-law, I think it was, was a psychiatrist. And uh, he came here on a, a Sunday morning, and someone just around there somewhere spoke out loudly a message in tongues. And the feedback that we got from the psychiatrist afterwards was that it seemed to him like we were giving a platform to people with serious mental health problems. Because what he saw reminded him of what he saw in his working life, uh, as he sought to help people with serious mental health problems. And yet, although Paul says this, look, if everyone speaks in tongues, people will think you're out of your mind. In the same chapter, towards the end, verse 39, he says very clearly, don't forbid it. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. And so if there is some limitation, as in, I say if, since there is some limitation on what the gift of tongues does, we might think, oh, let's just not bother. But Paul, having been the one who's pointed out the limitation, specifically says, well, don't, don't respond to that by forbidding it. The right answer is not to forbid it, but for us to take time to interpret It's another spiritual gift. And to explain. And if we went back a little bit through this one chapter, 14, we'd find Paul saying that. Verse 13, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. So Paul's got this sorted. He understands the limitations, but he's enthusiastic about it. And uh, my experience is that when we do take time to explain what's going on, with this particular spiritual gift, uh, our guests do have understanding. They gain understanding, and they're okay with it, as we explain. Not long ago, um, there was one Sunday morning when I led the church here in singing out in tongues. I was quite strong about it. I said, we're doing this, and I'm going to keep singing, and you're going to join in, and it's going to be great, and we're going to go for it, and something's going to happen. I was quite strong, and the fruit of that was we had the whole congregation pretty much singing in that way. Um, there was someone who was not at that time a Christian present and um, Bev went with her and talked, explained to her in the kids group what was going on. And she's like, well, her, her response was, you know, that whole thing was just amazing. There was something going on there. I, I don't understand what it was. So have you got a seminar planned when you can teach me the words? Uh, no, but we can pray, and we can do a bit of praying this morning. So one of the reason that people have a, have a hesitation and don't like it is it's not good for guests. Well, there are some answers in 1 Corinthians 14 to that. Also in 1 Corinthians 14, it says in ver- the beginning of verse 5, very straightforwardly, speaking in tongues is not as good as prophecy. Like, do desire to speak in tongues, but actually, even more than that, desire to prophesy. Uh, again, so Paul says... Quoting, if I quote the first half of verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And so some people understandably think, well, I've got a limited amount of time and uh, energy here. Let's focus on the thing that matters most. Let's focus on eagerly desiring the gift of prophecy and let's not worry too much about speaking in tongues. But again, the right answer isn't to give up on it. The right answer is to interpret So Paul, funnily enough, knows that, says that. The verse goes on to say, even as it says, he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, uh, he explains it says, unless he interprets. If the tongue, if that message in another language is interpreted, then the whole church may be built up and edified. Interpretation is the key thing. And Paul makes another statement again in this chapter verse 18 to underline the fact that tongues speaking in tongues is not a second class gift verse 18 he says i thank god that i speak in tongues more than all of you i sometimes wonder how he knew that Our little monitoring devices didn't exist in those days i can only assume that he spent a large proportion of his waking hours speaking in tongues or Uh, how, How did he know that, that that was the case? Or maybe he knew that they only did it for show in meetings, whereas he did it in his daily life, and he knew that reality. But Paul, though he says, look, I'd rather you prophesy, he's himself at the leading edge of being the person who speaks in tongues more than anyone else. So it might well not be as good as prophecy on certain occasions, but that's no reason to pull back. The very person in the Scriptures who tells us it's not as good as prophecy for speaking to the church says, well, I I do it more than all the rest of you, so let's not misinterpret what he's saying. And then thirdly, and I think maybe this is a stronger thing, We look at the practice of speaking in tongues, as you may have observed it in the church, and think, well, it's not a lot like Pentecost, is it really? You see, at Pentecost, the disciples were understood by the gathered, multi-ethnic crowd who said, Acts chapter 2, each of us hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Crete, and Arabia. All understood. So there were people on the day of Pentecost speaking all of those languages and they were understood. And we think, well, I don't think I know anyone, Pentecostal, you know, however Pentecostal they may be, who's had that kind of Pentecost experience of being in a setting where loads of people are speaking, and there's loads of different languages understood by people from different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, Like me, you may well have heard stories of odd occasions. One of the ones that's part of our uh, history as a group of churches is Mary Norwich. doing a church camp in India and doing a seminar on spiritual gifts and being asked to come to the front by her husband just to speak a message in another language, in in tongues, as the Spirit led, so that it would demystify it. For those who were present, they could just hear and understand. And so she did. And at the end, some people who were visitors on the camp came along. They were from Iran. And they said, that's odd. When you said you were speaking in a language that God had given, you were speaking in our dialect of Farsi. So how does, you know, they were confused by that. There seems to be a slight lack of integrity in Mary that she would said she was speaking a spirit-given language, but was actually speaking their language. But that's the gift at work. And we do hear odd stories like that, but I've never heard in modern history of something like the Day of Pentecost. And I think it's worth explaining why that might be. First of all, maybe the problem isn't the gift, maybe the problem is us. Because we don't do what the church did on that Day of Pentecost. The equivalent for us might be, I think, probably across our churches, the city of Oxford is the place that's got the greatest mix of ethnic groups. And the most multi-ethnic part of our city is down the Cowley Road. And there's a Cowley Road Carnival every year. If we got afloat in the Cowley Road Carnival and we all stood on the back of a lorry and we all shouted out in the tongues God was giving us as we went along the road, then by the end, we might have got some feedback. Then we would know the reality of whether we can live in this day of Pentecost with the gift as we know it. I think given how different our practice is to the church on the day of Pentecost, they're out in the streets proclaiming it to this multi-ethnic crowd. If we did that, then maybe we could say, oh, there's something different in our gift to the gift they had then. And if anyone wants to do that, good. Good. I was just trying to work out whether I'd say that I'd join in or not. Uh, Maybe I would. You might need to persuade me slightly. But I wouldn't be close to it because if we're following the example of the Scriptures, I might be painting myself into a corner here. (laughs) But again, there is wisdom for us in this one chapter, chapter 14. Verse 14 says, um, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. And what Paul is saying here is that when we speak in tongues, his expectation was that the tongue wouldn't be understood in the context of use in the local church. And he knew that when he prayed in the spirit, as he describes it, uh, that it did him good even though it wasn't understood. He wanted it to be interpreted so that the church could benefit, but that good stuff happens even when it's not understood. We don't have to understand the language for it to be good and beneficial. More than that, if we were to turn to one of Paul's other letters, the letter to the Romans, there's something here that I think can help us. In Romans chapter 8, where he talks in various ways about the work of the Spirit. He writes this in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Then how many can relate to that experience? Don't even know what to pray for. No, I should pray. I don't know what to pray for in our weakness. But it says this, The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I just want to let that little fact of spiritual reality settle into our understanding. The Holy Spirit, who by all accounts knows a lot more than any of us, who by all accounts uh, is more intelligent, wiser, has more facility with language than any of us. Uh, If the Holy Spirit put his mind to it, he could, in a flash, create greater literature than Shakespeare got to at his highest point. The Holy Spirit is not limited in language, and yet there are times when the Holy Spirit groans in his own intercession. I think sometimes we get a little bit uppity about the need to be sophisticated and clever and sound good. If it's good enough for the Holy Spirit to pray by groaning, then we shouldn't be too uptight about the form that our own prayer takes. Because you see, praying in tongues isn't an intellectual gift. And let me try and explain this. a a picture here of somebody being hungry because I think the physical hunger that we have can help make sense of this for us. Praying in tongues isn't an intellectual gift. See, there are different parts of what it means to be human. We have a mind. We also have a body, a soul, and and a spirit. When I'm hungry, it's my body that aches and tells me I'm hungry. Hunger comes from the body, though, of course, it does also register with the brain. But we all know that there's a world of difference between the brain saying, oh my goodness, I've not eaten for six hours, I ought to eat something now. It's one thing that can happen. And just knowing that you're starving. There's a difference. Both involve the brain in some way, but one of them is your body telling you and the other's just thinking about it. And I think that's a good picture of the difference between praying with our mind and praying with our spirit. We can pray with our mind, we can think about what to pray for, we can come up with the words, we can put them on our lips, we can pray. But there's something else called praying in the spirit, which is how Paul describes speaking in these other languages, speaking in tongues. It comes from somewhere else inside us. It's like there is a hunger in our spirit. And in the same way that we know to recognize hunger arising from our body, it's possible for us to recognize something arising from our spirit. And it's no more anti-intellectual than hunger is. It's not against the mind. It's just a different part of who we are operating in a different way. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It helps us in a number of ways. Um, Bev, you need to go and get Helen. Um, It helps us in several different ways. And I I mean, there's more than I could say this morning, but here are three. First of all, um, there's a picture of someone there lifting up their heart. The gift of speaking in tongues helps us to lift up our inner being. It helps us to lift up our inner being. Uh, the Old and New Testaments use different language for that inner being. Um, they talk about the, but Between them, they talk about the heart and the soul and also the spirit, different parts of our inner being. The gift of tongues helps us to lift that up. Uh, even when we're in a right state, uh, it's, we, we most need help to lift up our inner being When we're in a right state, whether that's because we're dry or distressed, there are times when we find it hard to recognize our need of God. And the Old Testament has this phrase of lifting up our hearts. Um, It's used both positively and negatively. So um, Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Uh, He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who doesn't lift up his soul heart, to an idol. So there it's talking about the wrong thing to do with lifting up your hearts. What you don't want to do is lift up your heart to an idol. The very next uh, psalm, though, says what we should do. David starts in verse 1 of Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. And the picture here is that when we're feeling empty... We can lift up our hearts towards something or someone that we trust will satisfy us. That's the picture. Lifting up an empty heart, trusting that it's going to get filled. And the ache is going to be satisfied. And when we're told by the scriptures to lift our hearts to the Lord If there's one, uh, there are probably two books of the Bible that are really, really, really glum. Uh, One of those is the book of Job. I spent a long time reading through the book of Job um, over the new year and into this year. I was really glum. Um, There's another one that's called Lamentations. These are people who are experiencing the kind of trauma that refugees from Syria have experienced. And possibly, uh, in many cases, worse than that. Um, The ancient world was a brutal, brutal place. And in the midst of the book of Lamentations, which is all about this time of distress, uh, it says this, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. In the midst of distress, in the desert, in the dry place, there... It's possible to lift up our hearts. Those of you that have been parts of churches with a more liturgical approach to worship will know that phrase from the approach to what we call breaking bread, but is also called the Lord's Supper communion Eucharist. Um, The person who's leading will say, lift up your hearts. And the response is, we lift them to the Lord. It's a wonderful picture. It's a biblical phrase. And speaking in tongues is brilliant when we're feeling dry and far from the Lord. It enables us to lift up our inner being even when we're feeling dry. It makes us sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It brings to us an immediate awareness that there is more in heaven than we've yet seen. And so my point for this morning is this, let's speak in tongues. Let's do it. Let's speak in tongues. That's one benefit. It also helps us to relate to God who is spirit. God's not far away. We can't see him because he is spirit. But when I pray with my spirit, the reality of God as spirit is revealed afresh to me. And I start engaging with God on his terms. God isn't just mind. He's not just a bundle of words to speak to us. He is spirit. And when we pray with our spirit, there's this profound connection that goes on. Uh, Again, in 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 2, it says this, verse 10, The spirit searches all things. Even the deep things of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. There's, a, there's some deep things here, and I don't pretend to fully understand them. But it's clear that there's an engagement of the spirit that goes deeper than anything else. This picture of the Spirit of God searching into God for the deepest things, which the Spirit alone can do, and the same is true for us. Speaking in tongues is a way of relating to God that really, really works, spirit to spirit. It works for us, and dare I say it, it also works for God too. He's given it to us because he likes us relating to him in that way too. So, let's speak in tongues. Here's a third thing, praying with power. Uh, Praying, using this gift of speaking in tongues, helps us in our praying for others. Um, Many of you will know this from your experience of doing so, that this kind of praying has this effect, it kind of quickens faith where you you were praying for something that you kind of knew you should be praying for before, suddenly there's faith that comes and an expectation and life and dynamism and power. And there's a new kind of praying that goes on. Um, it, it's just a different thing. There's a, there was a guy called um, Willie Burton uh, who rightly understood Uh, is really like a great-grandfather in the faith to many of us. Because he was a guy who went to what's now called the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, was then the Belgian Congo, uh, planted 2,000 churches. Um, Along the way, had moments of being, you know, standard missionary experiences, like being tied to a tree by a cannibal tribe, who left him there overnight to eat him tomorrow, um, and then you know, God helped, <laughs> he came out of it alive, those kinds of things. There was one occasion, and, sorry, and he, he was a personal hero of a guy called Barney Coombs, who in turn has been a spiritual father to Steve Thomas, who, was, who God used to plant um, our most of our churches and is a spiritual father still in our family of churches internationally. So Willie Burton's a kind of great-grandfather to many of us, though I've never met him, never met my own great-grandfather for that matter. But um, there was a time when he was once again, because I think it's happened a number of times, very close to death. He was in the bush and had a fever, very close to death, and then all of a sudden was just healed, just poof, the, the fever left and he was healed. Later, when he was back in England, um, he was speaking with a woman who told him how she'd once been woken up in the middle of the night with a sense that she needed to pray for him, and she began to pray in other languages, in other tongues, as God gave them, until she felt a burden of prayer lift. A task was completed in prayer. She went back to bed. When they compared notes, it was exactly the time that he was healed, there in the middle of nowhere, in Africa. And um, this is an amazing Amazing kind of prayer. We talk about our prayer making a difference. I have seen more um, change effected when I've been praying this kind of way than in any other kind of praying I've done. I've got a few people nodding because you've had a similar experience. A couple of years ago, the church here was. Pretty much in debt, we had a gap of about fifty thousand pounds, and it didn 't look like it was getting shifted anytime soon. I prayed in bits and bobs, I told other people to do things like you do. Um, there came a moment when I took more responsibility spiritually, and some of you will know this. I went for a three hour walk, hike across the Cotswolds um, and spent the whole time just praying in tongues, praying in tongues for three hours. And I I had this kind of experience. I felt like there was a burden from the Holy Spirit that I was able to express through this gift that God gave. And by the time I got to the other end and was trying to find the bus stop for a bus home, I was satisfied that I'd done the thing I needed to do. Uh, Within the week, several different gifts came in that amounted to 51,000 pounds, which has been my, some of you have heard me say this before, it's been my highest rate of pay ever. 17 grand an hour. That's like Bill Gates territory, isn't it? So um, my experience, and this is my experience, I cannot show, I honestly cannot show you this from the scriptures, but my experience has been that that kind of praying doesn't come in the first five minutes of starting to pray in tongues. There's three things that I've described lifting up our inner being, relating more closely to God, and praying with power. Those things are not just, I didn't, That's not a random order on the screen. That is the experience that many of us have had of what the process of praying like this is like in reality. However dry we are when we start, we can come to God and use this gift that God gives to lift up our hearts and be sensitized afresh to the Holy Spirit. And Then we know that we're relating to him. There's an intimacy in prayer. (sighs) And then something else starts to happen. Um, My own experience is that when that happens, there's uh, there's another language that God gives me to pray. I've got a kind of warming up language. And I've got... I don't know. I don't understand it all. But there's another language that kicks in when there's a burden of something to pray for, and it's a kind of it's a kind of aggressive language. And I I, I can't make it. I can't demonstrate it to you because consistently I found that it only. Ha- you need to come and pray with me for an hour in tongues, and, and then maybe God will do something, and and we can pray together in a way that does something different. These are some of the, the you know the mysteries of walking with God. There's power in this kind of spiritual walk. Uh, we don't talk about it that often. But I, and you're all looking at me, but as I'm looking around, I'm seeing a whole bunch of heads nodding. They're mostly ones with gray hair. <laughs> Not entirely. But that encourages me. Because this isn't some enthusiasm of younger people that you eventually tire of this is a sustainable pattern of living in the power of the Holy Spirit that will sustain us all the way through to the end of our days it's strong and it's good yeah. Helen come and share with us some of your recent experience You need a microphone.
1: right so, um, I'm just thinking, it's probably about a year ago that um, I'd got myself into this little routine that I was praying in tongues for five minutes a day. And I thought that was quite a long time. <laughs> um, and then we were in um, a leaders' meeting, and we were all talking about, you know, what we were doing in terms of prayer, our prayer life. And I said, well, I'm praying in tongues for five minutes a day. And then Steve just said something. He said when you've prayed in tongues for about two hours, and then he, he went on to say something else, which I wasn't really listening to, because as soon as he said, when you've prayed in tongues for two hours, that's where my, my brain just kind of exploded a bit. And I thought, can, you, can a person actually pray in tongues for that long? Is that physically possible? Um, but it was, it was just that provocation that I needed to hear. And, and actually, more than anything, I was intrigued. I thought... I wonder if that's possible. I wonder what it would be like (laughs) to actually pray in tongues for that long. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to have an experiment. I'm going to explore this and see what happens. And at that time in my life, I had a bit of time on my hands. I thought, actually, I've got the time to do this. Let's have a try. I'm not sure I can do two hours, but I'm going to try and do one hour speaking in tongues a day. Now, the interesting thing is, the proof of the pudding is that here I am a year later, and I'd say it's become the benchmark that I, I try to aim for. And I, you know, I can't imagine my prayer life without it now. So um, that's a good advert for it, I would say. I'm still doing it a year later. I mean, sometimes it's 30 minutes, sometimes it's nothing if it's a bad day. And occasionally it's a couple of hours when I have a lot of time, but generally my benchmark is to try and pray in tongues for an hour each day. And I just wanted, I was just reflecting on what change that has brought about. How is my life different as a result of that? And I suppose the first thing I want to say is that. I feel different. Something feels different. And I'm trying to define it, and it's a slightly difficult to define. But it's generally like there's a robustness and an optimism that I have that's kind of up a level than it used to be. And it, it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm riding along on a bike with inflated tires rather than deflated tires that whatever I might face or what challenges, there's, there's more optimism and there's more faith in the face of that. Um, so that is the first thing that I, I would say. The second thing is that I've really kind of noticed something about spiritual warfare. Now, my understanding of spiritual warfare is that there's stuff going on in the spiritual realm that we can't see and we don't understand and maybe we don't even need to know about most of the time. But when you're praying in tongues, something is happening out there in the spiritual realm. And I'm not saying I've become an expert on seeing anything out there, because that's not it. It's just I'm more aware that it's going on, and something is happening on that level. Um, there's definitely something about this, you know, you starting off, I'm sitting there, don't feel like praying in tongues, don't feel like anything, feel tired. And then there's something like The 20 minute mark (laughs) where something seems to happen, and I'm not saying that's a magic number or anything, but very often, 20 minutes in, something is something noticeable has shifted. Um, sometimes it's as obvious as something lifting off, or something you know, or I'm just generally feeling much more energized, and, and optimistic, and positive, and full of faith. Um and I think I've noticed also that some of those things, you know, Satan knows our weak points, doesn't he? He knows where to kind of prod and, and you know, our anxieties, our insecurities. And I, th- I just feel generally that I'm less hassled by some persistent things than I used to be. Um, so something is going on out there in the spiritual realm in terms of spiritual warfare when I pray in tongues. And the third thing um, is is a new level of insight. And this might seem strange to you, but as someone who's kind of taught on prophecy and kind of loves the prophetic, I've, I've only just really realized in this last year that I get most of my revelation when I'm praying. You would have thought I might have realized that by now. <laughs> but actually... This is where most of it seems to be happening for me now when I'm praying. So some some things go on. So sometimes, for example, um, I might be praying, say, for one of the children. I don't know. I need to pray for them. Let's pray in tongues. Don't know exactly what to pray. And as I'm praying, sometimes it's like this kind of simultaneous translation is going on on the other side. And I'm aware of what that prayer is. And usually I'm quite surprised by it because it's not something I would have thought of praying So therefore, I know that it's the Holy Spirit saying, this is a good way to pray for this person. That really gives me insight in how to pray for someone. Um, And the other kind of insight that I seem to get is, it's kind of like an understanding of a course of action that I need to do. And I just want to give you three examples very quickly. For example, one day, Graham felt that he needed some wisdom on something. I spent, 60 minutes praying in tongues for him and it was just like I hadn't got that didn't feel like I got anywhere apart from at the end I just had one little thought which didn't feel very spiritual I mentioned it to him and he said that is just so helpful in under you know in working out what to do in this situation Um, it could be something else Um, for example at work I just felt I was praying and I felt that I should teach something in a slightly different way <laughs> because that would bring peace to that student and he would cause me less trouble in the classroom. So that was, a, that was another one. And then just something very recent. Um, I had my mum to stay with me. This is hot off the press. So I've got no idea wh- whether this has been successful or not. <laughs> uh, she came to stay. She's getting on a bit now. She went and after she'd gone, I started praying 30 minutes and I just knew that I had to tell her how to become a Christian. And while I was praying, I was actually then, God was giving me an idea of how I should say it, how I should phrase it, what pictures I should use. And that now I should be telling her all of this. And that, that kind of download came um, as I was praying in tongues. So basically, this is an advert for praying in tongues. Um, I'm interested in things that work. And I think it works. And I have to say that my prayer life is much more enjoyable than it has been of all the 30-odd years I've become a Christian, and it feels um, like I'm stronger. And I just, you know, I can't recommend it highly enough, really. Okay.
0: Great. Thanks, Helen. Wonderful. Um, I feel that I'm still in the shallows of all of these things. The stimulus that came to me a few years ago that got me thinking more about the power of this gift was um, meeting a friend of a guy called Ram Barbu. I don't know if any of you have met Ram Barbu or been. Um, he is an Indian who uh, travels the world and everywhere he goes, miracles and healings and things happen. He's one of those sorts of people. Um, he was working as um, an engineer. And uh, going out in the evenings into uh, Indian villages and uh, sharing the gospel with people there, praying for people. And he felt God say to him, right, it's time to give up the job and spend all your time doing that. Don't worry, I'll provide. So he changed it, you know, resigned his job. And then went out to the villages in the daytime and then discovered that there was a problem. Which was that in the daytime, all the villages were in the fields and you couldn't talk to them. So he'd resigned his job and had all of the normal Monday to Friday working hours, and he couldn't do the thing that God had said to him to do. And then he felt led to spend all of that time praying instead. God led him to see that if he'd thought it was worthwhile spending all his time doing some other activity, um, that actually his heart wasn't in so much, he could easily spend his 40 hours uh, praying. And he developed the habit of praying for eight hours a day, Monday to Friday, in tongues. And did that for, I mean, somewhere between a year or two. Uh, and that was the foundation of, you know, of his, uh, all that God gave him uh, taking off. And this was, I mean, that, I think, oh, okay, I can't even begin to imagine that. But there was something else that I learned from his experience that really struck me, which was that what, what he said was that through that, he spent the whole of his life filled up spiritually. And out of that abundance of spiritual life, energy, insight, wisdom, always had something to give people. And when he'd given some things away, uh, he immediately would give himself to time with Jesus, time with the Holy Spirit, and top back up. And so rather than living with... Uh, an empty tank, and oh, goodness me, I've got something I need to... I've got a particularly challenging thing to do today. i better spend a bit of time tanking my spiritual life up so that I'll get through that one thing, getting through it, and then living with the nearly empty tank again. He was found... He'd found a pattern of life where he was normally full to overflowing. Normally full to overflowing. Just little things that make a difference, like not just starting the day with prayer, but ending the day by saying, well, God, all of this stuff I've given out today, um, could I end the day and go to bed filled up afresh, rather than collapsing into bed and trusting the sleep to do everything, when actually it's a relationship with God that most matters. So maybe that will make sense to a few of you as well. Um, Getting started, I don't think I have any more slides, but um, getting started in speaking. Some of you will have heard all that's been said this morning and gone, oh, righty-ho. Yeah, I do exercise that gift, but there's an encouragement to do more with it. Undoubtedly, there'll be some people here this morning for whom it's all sounding really a little bit weird um, and who've just not had this experience and are a little bit unsure what it means. Um, I can encourage you that this gift is not hard, Um, Al, who was here with Caroline earlier, was telling me that just recently their poppy has started speaking in tongues, has received the gift distinctly. She's aged four. So I think the rest of us can, you know, do likewise. The main problem is something that I'd like to call the French exchange factor. Uh, When I was 13 or 14, I went on a French exchange. I... Uh, ended up in someone's home, they were all French. And, so far so good, Uh, and they were all speaking French. And that was the whole point, was that I would go there, they'd speak French, I'd learn to speak French. For the first five days, I didn't say a thing. Until eventually, they put some pressure on me, and they all sat me down around the breakfast table and asked me questions, simple questions in French, and made it clear that no one was going anywhere until I started talking. (laughs) Uh, The reason that I didn't want to talk was that however articulate I can be in English, I am not as articulate in French. And therefore, if I manage to present quite well and look reasonably intelligent in English... When I make my best effort in French, I look a bit stupid. And therefore, I just didn't want to do that. Any language that's not your own, when you have a go, you just look a bit daft. Uh, You seem like a little bit of a a half-wit, really. And so I think what happens is that when we want to receive the gift of speaking in tongues, we face that, that French exchange factor we don't want to speak because we're pretty sure that whatever comes out of our mouth will, will make us look a bit less, you know, it's not, the, it's not the kind of person we'd want to present ourselves as. It won't be witty. Uh, it won't sound clever. It might not even sound fluent. So it would just be better to keep the mouth shut. Um, practically, I think a lot of Christians wait for the Holy Spirit to come like a kind of rushing wind that would so overtake us that we can't help but speak in tongues even though we don't really want to. And I I imagine that there's a number of people here this morning who are stuck at that point. You're waiting for some greater spiritual experience to overtake you, to rob you of any choice. Yet, going back to our wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 14, it says there that prophets can speak and be quiet at will. And the same is true for speaking in tongues. We can speak and be quiet at will. Um, I have read philosophical, linguistic, psychological, sociological, and scientific studies of speaking in tongues. Um, They do exist. I'll tell you one finding that is very straightforward. Um... There is no particular emotion attached to speaking in tongues. Consistently discovered by um, looking at lots of different people, there is no particular emotion that happens or that overtakes you. Some people do experience a kind of whole whoosh of something new happening. Some people pray for the Lord to speak in tongues, and they feel God's given them something, and they open their mouth and they go, "Bah." And everyone thinks, well, people think different things at that point. (laughs) Those who are more experienced in this say, praise God for making a start. You should keep saying that. And they might then go, bear, bear, (laughs) bear. At which point, all of the French exchange factor kicks in full on. Oh, I'm stupid. Sometimes that's how it works. When I was set at that breakfast table, it had to be dragged out of me. I had it in me to speak, it was my unwillingness to be anything other than good looking. That didn't come out quite right. See I struggle it even in English, let alone any other language, so forgive me. Um there, there is a need to, to choose to overcome awkwardness. At the end of the day, it's your mouth. It's attached to nerves that go into your brain, and you need to choose to use them. And you might wonder, how does all of that work together? Well, the best thing to do is to have people who have already exercised this gift pray with you and let them support you and guide you as you, uh, as you, you do so. Uh, If you've never spoken in tongues, don't leave it a long time. Somebody can pray with you this morning. If you're part of a life group or a uh, house group or a missional community or whatever, there'll be people there that will pray with you. It doesn't have to happen this morning, but don't leave it because you are missing out. And I don't know why you'd want to do that. Um, If you have received that gift already and you're not using it very much, let's speak in tongues. If we're not, We're missing out, and I don't know why you'd want to do that. Um, If you are in the habit of speaking in tongues already, let me encourage you, there is more. There is more. There there are new languages, new patterns of prayer, new measures of power and uh, the life of the Spirit that go beyond anything any of us have yet encountered. It's there. There's more. The only cost is our time and our pride. So let's pay that price and see some new things happen.